0: Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. It's the first ever Smart Home Show Live recorded at the Target Open House in San Francisco, featuring IoT Consortium, August, Sonos, Belkin Wemo, Pico Brew, Roost, with myself and Cece Higginbotham doing the interviews. All next. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Home Show. My name is Michael Wolf. This was a special Smart Home Show recorded live at the Target Open House in San Francisco. If you haven't been there, you should check it out if you're based in San Francisco in California. If you're not, you should maybe check it out anyway. You should go there because it's actually pretty cool. This the first time I'd actually gone there, had a chance to check it out, and uh it was interesting. I think what they really did well there was the use cases and kind of how they showed how you use this technology. There was uh you go into a certain room, say the bedroom or the children's room, you'd hit a button, and it run through a certain scenario. Like, it's nighttime, time to put the kids to bed. And it kind of automates and runs through the, the scene, and they did a good job there. So that was pretty cool. But the real focus of the event was the panels, where we actually had interviews. And that's, that's what you're going to hear here. It was a night produced by Target, as well as the IoT Consortium. In many ways, it was their event, so one of the things we did to start off is talk a little bit about what they're doing and what they're planning to do, we talked to you know how IoT is perceived by consumers. Greg Con who helped put this together, I want to thank Greg for that. Uh, was the person talking about it and kind of laying out the vision for uh, the coming year for IoT consortium. And from there, um, it was myself and Stacy Higginbotham. If you don't know Stacy, she is the host of the Internet of Things podcast. Writes for Fortune. I worked with Stacy at Gigom, and we basically tag teamed the rest of the interviews where we talked to different folks from different connected device companies. And I talked to Sonos, uh, Michael Papish. I'd also talked to Bill Mitchell from Peaco Brew. We had a connected kitchen uh, company in there in the mix. And Stacy talked with Jason Johnson, the CEO of August, Peter Taylor, that had a product for Belkin, and James Blackwell, who's the CTO for Roost. You may even remember Roost. We actually had them on the podcast. Uh, and at the time, we talked a lot about this idea of retrofit smart home. And so Stacy digs into that with James because they just actually released their product. So that's it. Audio quality um, is basically what you get when you record in a, a venue filled with a bunch of people talking. And uh, I actually logged my uh, my recording gear down there. I never actually done that before. logged my mixer and my microphones down in a suitcase. And when you bring something like a mixer in a suitcase, people at airport security get really kind of worried. And so I got the pat down and basically treated it as if I was trying to smuggle something onto an airplane that I shouldn't be. And... Uh, So that was interesting, but other than that, everything went smoothly on this trip, had a lot of fun. This was the first podcast ever recorded in the Target open house, which is pretty cool. It was a smart home show, my podcast. I want to thank Target for that. And it's the first, to my knowledge, until someone tells me otherwise, the first podcast recorded in a Target, officially approved and produced and sanctioned by Target. Uh, It may be the first one, unless maybe there's someone who does a, a retail podcast about retailers, and Target wanted them to talk uh, about their what's going on there. But I'm going to say uh, my, mine was the first one, so let's go with that. I want to thank the Internet of Things Consortium for helping me put this together as well. Thanks, Greg Kahn, for doing that. If you want to find out more about the Internet of Things Consortium, go to iofthings.org. That's iofthings.org. You can check them out. Got some interesting stuff going. I want to thank those who listened to the show that came out. It was actually a pretty cool experience, I must say, to meet your listeners and people who came up to me and said they listened to the show. That was really cool. Thanks for coming out. I appreciate your support, and I hope to get to meet you guys uh in future events. Maybe CES or maybe it's South by Southwest. We'll, we'll connect, but that's one of the coolest thing about podcasting, quite honestly, is getting to meet people who listen to the show. So thanks, everyone. And as always, if you want to listen to more Smart Home Shows, you know where to go. Go to technology.fm. You can go to the smarthomeshow.com or you can find us in your usual podcast apps, and places on the internet where podcasts hang out. Go there. Check them out. We're, we're there hanging out as well. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. I'm off for the rest of this week pretty much as I enjoyed the Thanksgiving holiday. I hope you enjoy yours as well. If you are not celebrating Thanksgiving, I hope you have a good week as well. Because why should we, the ones celebrating Thanksgiving, be the only ones to have a good week? That doesn't even make any sense. So have a good week, everyone. Enjoy the podcast and we'll talk to you soon. Uh, we were talking beforehand and I uh, we were talking about, what do you tell people at Christmas parties? You know, you describe your job, and like I've always had one of those jobs that like it's hard to tell people. And uh, and Greg goes, well, I don't tell people that I work, for, you know, Internet of Things, like a general non-tech audience because they don't know what it is. You say emerging technology,
1: emerging, and kind technology. of at the
0: Christmas party set, you know. So that made me think. You know, do, do do consumers need to know what the Internet of Things is, and if they do, how do we how do we educate them?
1: well our industry and when I say our industry uh, the, the collective American public likes buzzwords and buzz phrases so uh, emerging media or content marketing or IOT is something that they've read about um, they see the forecast they read the Wall Street Journal uh, and so they have some idea that some something is coming in what's called the, the, the third wave I think for everybody in the room the important thing is not to educate them what a buzz phrase is Mike but it's to help them explain what technology is coming into the fold, how it's going to improve their lives, um, what decisions should they be making, purchase decisions, um, from a platform perspective or from a product perspective over the next couple of years, Um, and what are some of the potential challenges that they're going to see, because I think the reality in this space is that we don't have it all figured out yet. That's why there's so many folks here tonight and at similar types of events. Um, so they need to understand what the inherent challenges they're going to see in the next couple of months, whether that's an interoperability challenge or whether there's a hardware challenge for some of the products that are coming out, um, so that their expectations are met when they buy into the ecosystem.
0: You're uh, part of an organization that I think is an interesting one in that you guys aren't creating a specification or standard. I think it's a, a necessary one in this early nascent phase of what is a... We all expect to be a big market, right? So, um, I I remember talking to Jason it's Jason Johnson. You were heavily involved with IOTC and still are. A couple years ago, at CES, and just learning about it about it, and it's it's come so far since that point. But I think you guys have pretty big plans for two thousand sixteen. So I'd like you know you to talk a little bit about what you guys are going to
1: do to kind of broaden the vision and kind of grow next year. Yeah, we do, and thank you to, to Jason for starting such an amazing association. Um, you know, the IOTC was formed here in in NorCal. As a way for for individuals that were insiders in this this ecosystem to have a place to freely talk, freely from from the press, um, freely from from any kind of prejudice. Uh, what were the challenges? What were the potential opportunities? What are partnerships that could be forged in uh, in this ecosystem? And as the the industry has progressed, um, there's even a greater need for more formal organization uh, to be able to meet that need. And so. Um, We have some exciting plans that we'll be announcing at the Consumer Electronics Show in 2016, but let me give you a a, a sneak peek is that um, we will have a formal membership base with subdivisions um, that are going to address very, very specific needs in the marketplace. So needs like uh, understanding pricing, uh, needs like privacy and security and big data and the role that that plays in the ecosystem. Um, needs specific to connected cities or connected retail. Um, so we're going to have working groups that are formed to kind of tackle some of these needs head on. And, and Mike, as you were saying, there's, there's so many consortiums that are already um, have been developed to deal with standards and interoperability. So we're going to be everything but not that. It's going to be about an organization that helps to build marketplace awareness to better understand insights, business and consumer insights, and big data. And an organization that's going to enable everybody in the room, from attorneys and VCs and private equity, entrepreneurs, strategics, to form business building partnerships. And fortunately, we've gotten such amazing reaction from the community of of companies that want to join. You'll be probably surprised at some of the companies when we announce them at CES that are joining the IOTC. And if you're interested, please call, stay here for as long as they'll allow me to stay here, Kate, uh, afterward. And uh, 9 o'clock, she says. <laughs> uh, I'd be happy to talk to you further about
0: it. I want to talk a little bit about just the smart home. We're in the, the Target open house. There's been you know, a few analysts out there, these pesky analysts. I don't know what they think they're doing, uh, talking about how you know smart home is – you know, not growing as fast as they expected. But I think that those people saying that oftentimes are missing the point because they think they're not looking at specific use cases. Um, They're not looking necessarily at how, uh, for example, you know, the service rider managed market is is growing, um, how we're seeing insurance companies start to kind of embrace IoT. So can you talk a little bit about some of the specific use cases you see around IoT that um, are kind of, Ones that are really kind of moving the market now, and then maybe looking forward a few years, what use cases do you think will drive IoT uh, after the kind of that first wave? Yeah, I mean,
1: fortunately, we're we're, we're lucky tonight to have many of the leading entrepreneurs of, of some of the top companies here and specific use cases. Jason and Nate, from from right. August, there's definitely been adoption of smart locks and and doorbells. Right. Um, there's been there's representation from Nest here, and so from a, from a thermostat. Um, perspective, there's definitely market penetration. Um, You know, the the, the analyst businesses you're in, and and I've been in before in in an earlier part of my career, um, it's tricky because when you put out projections that say the marketplace is going to be trillions of dollars without a clear path as to how you're going to get there, you often have disappointment. And you can look at analogous industries and um, wearables being one where up until six months ago, everybody said, the Apple Watch is a fad. Um, nobody's saying that anymore in the, in the marketplace. And so, you know, you, you have to have a little bit of patience. I think the other point that you noted, which is an important one, is how the ecosystem is broadening. And so the insurance companies are becoming a, a much more important part of the ecosystem. The MSOs, Comcast, Time Warner, Cable Vision, telecom companies are all investing heavily into the space. So consumers are going to get much get a much better understanding of how this is all supposed to work um, there's another point to, to note, which you led a couple weeks ago. I was fortunate enough to take part in it, is that sometimes we, we talk about the, the smart home as just one home. But look around tonight when you're walking around the, the, the evening. You'll see that there are rooms that are set. And the reality is we don't just live in a home. We also live in rooms, and we have different uh, activities that we participate in in rooms. And so oftentimes when we talk about the smart home or the analysts talk about the smart home, we just talk about it collectively, but what Mike did, if you didn't know, is he put on a conference called the Smart Kitchen Summit, which boiled it down to just what is that future of the kitchen, just a subset, and there's a, just a myriad of interesting companies that are playing in that space. So you can see where this is going is what's going to be the evolution of the living room, what's the evolution of the bedroom, what's the evolution of the bathroom, the, the et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's the growth that you're going to start to see over, over time, Um, and the interoperability or the interplay between devices in some of those rooms and the interplay not just within the home, but between your car and the home, between your wearable and the home, and between cities. And that's what we're all going to be looking forward to. And the question is, what's that roadmap to get there? And we have a lot of work to do as an organization to, to get there. But that's where the industry will be moving within the next couple of years.
0: Last point, because we want to get moving on. You talked about wearables. You talked about car. I think a lot of times we we tend to get focused on the smart home as we talk about consumer IoT. But you're broader than that as an organization. How important is, you kind of alluded to it there, these interconnects between these overlapping circles, because they are overlapping. And is there things that you you see that you guys can
1: do to help facilitate those interconnects? It's critically important, And, and here's why. When you look at the market from a consumer's lens, they don't think about, oh, now I'm discreetly in my home, now I'm discreetly on my driveway. They're just walking through their day. You know, they get up, they have to quickly make breakfast, get to work, get their kids ready, et cetera. Now they're in all these different environments, but they want want platforms and they want devices that are going to allow them to have that uniform connectivity. So our smartphones have taken that over the past five years. But as the industry grows and as more technology is introduced, what role does the watch play when you're in and out of your home and in your work environment? Is it being used when you're in a Target store, if you're an associate, to provide more information to, to the customer? And then you take it to the car, and that interplay from your watch automatically ports to the dashboard in your in the car through Apple, Google, or another provider. What we're doing is, as an association is we're bringing the conversation together. If you go to the Detroit Auto Show, you tend to see a lot of auto folks together, and maybe you'll see Apple and Google but it's rare, and so it's important that the conversations that we have, we start to see more of those folks talking to, to one another, and the IOTC is designed to, to do that. Great. So we're going to
0: move on to the next conversation. You're going to take over as MC, as kind of introduce the
1: next one, so uh, take it up, take it from here. All right. Thank you, Mike. So on to much more entertaining uh, panelists, although Mike did a great job there, Stacy is going to take our, our second interview, and Jason.
2: Hey, Jason. Hey, how you doing?
3: This this, this okay? Hey,
4: Stacy. All right, I'm Stacy Higginbotham. I'm a senior editor at Fortune. I have a podcast. It's called the IoT Podcast, um, and this is Jason Johnson, the CEO of August. Do you have a podcast?
3: Uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> but I listen to your podcast on a regular basis. So. Thank you, I
4: appreciate it. I was just giving you a chance if you had one. <laughs> I'm going to try to set my timer. Does it? Does anyone have a timer? Because um, I've never set my timer before.
3: The hand signals. <laughs> Holy
4: jamoli! Um, okay, you've got a timer. Fabulous.
3: Lewis is going to let us know. All right, Lewis,
4: because I am I am dead set on time. Alright. I'm doing this because you're my friend, and I love August. And I have lived for three years in a a home with lots of devices, Mm -hmm. and I love this space. I really do. I believe very strongly in this. But, you guys are talking a lot about platforms in the industry, and I feel like you're not talking about the consumer yet. And I know you believe a lot in design, and your products are talking a lot about the consumer. So, Talk to me about what you see as the big, like, barriers to adoption so far.
3: Yeah, I think that's a, it's a very, it's a very fair assessment. And you know, I, I see a lot of my internet things founder friends in the room that make some amazing products, and a lot of us come from technology backgrounds, and we, we love to, to 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 find ways to, to make things smarter, more intelligent, and and. Um, I think that the challenge, of course, is making sure that as we, as we develop these technologies, we're really thinking through what is the problem we're trying to solve? What is, what is the pain point of, of, of the consumer? And um, yeah, there's an often quoted you know, uh, concept around uh, you know, are, are you a vitamin, are, are you an antibiotic, or are you a painkiller? Like, are, are you solving pain? Are you, are you preventative? Right? It, it's, it's a great analogy, and I think it's, it, it applies as well to innovative things. We have to think through what are we trying to solve for? And, um, you know, I'm pretty excited because just a few weeks ago we, we finally got to unveil what, what we've been thinking about for, for, for three years now and around, you know, the challenges of getting people, goods, and services into the home. And, you know, making a smart lock is one thing, but we always thought from the beginning, what problem are we solving? What, what How are we going to help people's daily lives? And we always thought about that. But we, we had to we had to build a product, we had to get it out there, and then work with partners. And we announced more than a dozen partners for August Access a few weeks ago um, that, in fact, are bringing goods and services into the home in a secure way. And that's that's kind of our approach is, is you know, what what are the daily problems, challenges people are living with, dealing with, that that you know we could help solve.
4: Okay. Cause and I, I think that's do you think it's a matter of waiting? Because August came out with a smart lock. A couple you guys announced it in twenty twelve? Yeah. Okay. So is it a matter of waiting for some of these products to be more than just, hey, we put a chip in it, and to actually expand upon their vision? Because that is totally fair. Like a lot of the excitement around this is waiting not just for the product but for what that product really enables. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll
3: i just look over my shoulder here at this little head nut feeder. I have one of these in my house and um, they haven't really unveiled everything just yet, but I think it's known that, you know, it's going to be able to order dog food for you when you get low on dolphin. I have a dog and he eats a lot and, and it's, it's going to be one of those nice things that, you know, intelligent orders food for my dog when I need it and I don't have to worry about that anymore, right? That's just one less thing on, on my wife and mine's plate and, you know, I think that's... I think that's, you know, that's just one of the many examples of, of what we've seen, people thinking through these, 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 these issues, these challenges.
4: Okay, and see, that is a huge consumer pain point. It is. Um, not having to think about ordering dog food. And so then we have been thinking, or I have been thinking, and I could be totally wrong, that maybe the big pain point was getting all these things to work together. But what you're describing, actually, is a world where I don't have to think about things in my house at all. Mm-hmm. So maybe I need to, like, step back and rethink how I've been thinking about the smart home. Maybe it's not home automation, which is where we've been very focused, but more about making my house, or not even thinking about my house, but having my stuff do things for me.
3: Yeah, in in an intelligent, intuitive way. You know, I I think many of us, we want to come home and have our door unlock and the lights go on and our favorite song play. Yeah, that's a great thing, but... Truth is, is we already have our routines, right? We we know how to how to how to enter the home and flick on the light switch and you know press play. Um, what's magical is when there's things that we, we we don't do automatically. We don't we we're not able to do um, automatically, like um, like the 20 million packages that FedEx and UPS deliver every single day. I said deliver? No, I just lied. They don't deliver 20, they attempt to deliver 20 million packages every day. So we all have this little slip, you know, we see once in a while on the door to our house. We've got to go back down to UPS or FedEx office, stand in line, and get that package. That's a real pain point. And it's 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 thinking through how do you solve that for a consumer before they really thought through how they might solve that.
4: All right. And so how do you, when, when you switch that, because that's kind of a different mind shift at least for me. Maybe maybe you guys all have this, like, y'all are like, oh, Stacy, we were already there. Uh, how do you build a company around that? Um, is it a consumer products kind of company like Sonos over there, or is it, I don't know, more of a services company? What kind of business does that look like when you're starting to build that kind of company?
3: I mean, Sonos is a, is a great example, um, you know, going on 15 years, right, of, of, of teaching consumers about new ways to experience music in the home. And 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 you know, that's one of those few companies that is able to actually do it without any kind of services on top. right? I, I learned a couple years ago that all those radio stations on Sonos that they don't get a cut of of Spotify or Pandora, you know, premium. Um, they literally make all their money on selling their hardware. And that's a rarity, right? That is that is actually really hard to do, unless you do it in very large Large scale, and uh, that's just one of those examples of companies. I think they've done a great job slowly building out their base and educating consumers on the benefits of what they do.
4: I have six Sonos's now, six. so I'm like, I just keep handing them money. Um, you you can you can thank me later. Uh, so. W- for August, then what kind of model? And it, it, maybe it's not. You're like, I'm not going to tell you my model. Is it a hardware model that you're trying to emulate, or is there a services play? With-
3: well, definitely services are important to us, and, and all of our hardware, including um, this is the this is the latest. This is actually the first time I've ever like pulled this out in public and shown it to anybody. But this is the uh, our new uh, August doorbell cam. Uh, uh, we'll be we'll be releasing soon. We we announced it a few weeks ago. Um, and this is this is one of those products that, that works with those services to help you get safely, securely goods and services into the home. So for us, you know, we want to make money on our hardware, of course. We want to, you know, be able to, to, uh, to do what Sonos has done, um, but it's, it's, there's also opportunity there around, you know, those services.
4: So, like, FedEx might pay you to be a part of the partnership.
3: Yeah, if, we, if we can successfully, securely deliver packages in the home and save labor and fuel costs, perhaps they will
4: Okay. And let's talk about cost, because that's something else. Like I as a consumer, you guys love me because I spend thousands of dollars every year. I'm I'm looking at that doorbell and I'm thinking, yep, yeah, that's two hundred dollars, right? It is it's a two hundred dollars. Like, i Christmas, my house. I've got two front doors, so four hundred dollars. Jason's like, <laughs> um I may have to split that though, because there are other connected doorbells in the market I've gotta play with. So that's expensive for a doorbell. I think I paid, like, $59 for my dumb doorbell, and it, it actually works really well. Um, how, how do you think consumers
3: are going to justify
4: that? And are the costs going to come down?
3: You know, I think all of us would like to, you know, bring the cost down for all these products here, right? We, you know, bring the cost down you make it more accessible to more people. Um, you know, that takes time, right? It takes engineering. It also takes volume. Right? As, as you create awareness for a new product category like a smart lock or a video doorbell you can move up in volume lower your costs and make it more accessible to consumers
4: do you make money on the product as it is now we do absolutely
3: okay do you think most
4: people selling products in the smart home make money right now
3: I think it's difficult unless you're at scale right and uh, we're fortunate we've've we've had we've had great success and in, in, uh, in our year plus on the market and um, but it's, it's difficult and um, um, you know, I, I, I hope many of these products here around me also get to scale and, um, and, 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 you know, it can lower the price and become more accessible. I do, too. Um, let's do a quick – Do you, what do you think about – what is the most
4: promising smart home technology that you're looking at? Is it interoperability or HomeKit
3: or is it, like,
4: something, I don't know, AI? What, what are you most excited about?
3: I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty excited about, about, about voice control, right, and, you know, ambient listening – um, I have, I have um, the Amazon Echo product. Um, our, our latest lock is Siri controllable, so you can say Siri unlock my door. It's even also fun to say Siri lock your door do at nighttime from my bed and I have I have a few smart locks in my house so, and when you say Siri lock your door, all of them simultaneously lock. It's like lockdown at the Johnson house. It's kinda it's kinda it's kinda it's fun. Satisfying <laughs> using your voice is powerful.
4: It is. All
3: right, Jason, thank you so much.
5: Thank you, Stacey. Right. Thanks, everybody. I told you
1: that Stacey was going to be entertaining. Okay, Mike, it's on you to up the ante there. Um, next up Two mics. Two mics. Mike and Mike Papish. Where's Mike Papish? Yeah. the table. So all right.
0: You know, it's it's almost going to be un- becoming unannounced un- like about how you know, we talk about Sonos because as, as Stacy was raving about you guys, I think you were, Sonos in a way is that one of those brands that's kind of universally loved. There's not a lot of people that criticize it. Um, and I think partly because when I look at you guys, you, you set a template for what I call the second wave of, of, of connected home, which I think was centered around connected entertainment. So we, the last decade has been all about getting that living room connected, over the top, etc. cetera. Um, so, you set a template. You, you you, guys were the first, really, I think, that I can remember, the first major connected device to do an app-centric remote control. That was used in a big way. Um, I think the first one's to probably do connected, distributed audio, certainly. So you kind of created that market. But when I think of Sonos, I'm having a hard time thinking of how you guys transition to the third wave or, or the things. And I don't know if you necessarily have to, because I think you have a, a, a business here, but you're heading up platform. So I'd like to kind of hear you talk about how you guys are, Thinking about the Internet of Things, and do you
6: guys have a play here? Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> hi there, everyone. I just wanted to mention that uh, I'm not celebrating November. Uh, That's how I always That's look I <laughs> every month. Um, I guess I'd step back a second before jumping into right. the Internet of Things question. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about are you solving a pain point? Right. And I I think one of the reasons why Sonos resonates so much with the listeners who have one is that we're not necessarily solving pain, but creating joy. You know, this idea that having a house full of music is is a a better house, a a house that's more alive. So ultimately, that, I think, is a a bigger idea than just fixing a problem or optimizing something for efficiency. Um, That being said, clearly the way that we do it is through connected devices, is through devices that talk to the Internet. Um, That's what gives us the ability to scale, to be modular. And so the technology is clearly pointing in the direction of becoming a a platform. And and I think the reason why we look at what we're building as, as a platform is around the user experience, right? It's not just because we want to connect ourselves to other objects, but it's much more what can we do to increase that user experience, Uh, And that's always the first question we ask ourselves. So we would love the idea of Sonos being a sound platform where other objects in the home are able to vocalize themselves or create sound or sound experiences through Sonos. The big question is how do we do that in a way that's meaningful for the end user, right? So that's the question we ask ourselves. And then we figure out what the APIs and what the other things to enable to, to allow those experiences to exist. You know, I think IoT or at least connected devices flips the
0: traditional asset uh, depreciation model on its head. Because traditionally, hardware def, uh, depreciates over time. But I think with connected devices, you guys are almost, you know, I look at my Sonos, which is 10 years old. I have the, your first standalone unit, it's 10 years old. I almost think now it's more value to me than it was 10 years ago in the sense that because you guys have added additional uh, service integrations, um, I have all these, uh, a portfolio of different applications I could stream. But how do, how do you continue that? I mean, because I think everyone's kind of now doing this, well, let's get Pandora, let's get Spotify, let's get, you know, all the different things. I want to kind of know what's beyond maybe just kind of integrating with the different streaming services. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, that
6: to me is a major component of being a smart object is the idea that you get smarter over time, right? That's the definition of being smart is that you actually gain. And, you know, we have a saying at Sonos, the, the day that our speaker comes off the assembly line. Is actually the day that it will sound its worse. Everything we'll do from that day forward, through software and through updates, will keep making it sound better. Um, and, and that's kind of interesting. I mean, you could say, okay, better is more services, which is true, or keeping pace with the innovations in the services market. But we also think about it from a, a sound perspective. Um, you know, we are not a traditional audio company. We design speakers that are all hardware plus software, right? We're not just about the hardware, and that gives us great power. So this idea that We can do a software update that actually changes the way our speakers sound based on things that we learn, based on feedback that we get from artists or from folks in the recording industry. That's a really interesting way of thinking of the problem of building a speaker. Traditionally, you build one of these things, you throw it in the world, and you never talk to it ever again. The the connected aspect is what allows us to keep learning how to tune it, how to make it sound better, We just brought out this update that does sort of room tuning. So this idea, and I think we're very similar to other companies like a Tesla, where you buy this and then all of a sudden these software updates come overnight and all of a sudden it gains capabilities. And and I think that is the model, and and I think we've built a company around that. We're not just want to sell you an object and then never talk to you ever again. We talk to you every day. We have a relationship with you, and the reason why we feel people keep coming back to Sonos is because we keep investing in that relationship. You know, we, We want you to like this product for a long period of time,
0: I remember uh, John, your CEO, came up to uh, Seattle. I met with him. Like it's 2008, and you guys remember the crash crashing. 2008, like the world was falling. I and like everyone was panicking. I looked at Sonos and I said, I mean, I, I thought you know this might be a company that might be in trouble because you guys are a premium product, and oftentimes in in severe downturns, there's less discretionary spending. And I said, John, are you? Are you worried? And he didn't blink. And he's like, "I'm not worried at all." And I think it shows you why he's the CEO of a, a, a multi-billion-dollar company. I'm just an analyst. He was right. But when you look at you guys, you guys have maintained high price points. You're a premium product. Do you see, um, or do you worry at all about kind of competition from you know the, the Bluetooth speaker market, or um, do you think you can maintain that high price point as the bigger guys continue to jump into connected audio?
7: Sure. I mean. Uh,
6: There's always going to be competition if you're doing something right, so in that sense, it's kind of exciting that there are now lots of other people trying to jump into what we've been doing kind of off in the wilderness for 12 years, Um, so that's awesome. Uh, We hope that they will bring the experience bar with them. You know, we think you should do this well if you're going to do it, Um, but we don't really think of competition when we ask ourselves what should we build You know, we ask much more, what is that ideal experience? You know, what's kind of the the ultimate version of of music and sound in the home? And let's go out and create that. I mean, that's the reason why we only release speakers pretty rarely, right? And they live for a long time. You know, our speakers will be out there, we hope, for for at least 10 years. Um, So, sure, you can ask about price, but we we just think of value, and we think we're a great value, and we're going to keep providing a great value.
0: I'd like to hear about what you think about next-generation interfaces. We heard uh, Stacey asked Jason about voice. Um, I I think, and I think in your your previous life, you thought a little bit about contextuality relative to kind of uh, connected experiences. I mean, if I think about the Netflix profile and, like, how, you know, maybe the evolution of that is, like, it knows my daughter's in the room and it doesn't play R-rated content. I think that's a great maybe – Use case or around contextuality. I think that Sonos can go down that path, um, maybe with some next generation interfaces. I don't know if it's um, awareness of the person, Um, maybe it's kind of maybe it is voice recognition. Are you thinking about this next generation way to interface? Because you guys, I think, we're a little bit early, definitely early on the app centric kind of software control of
6: of hardware. What do you think about next generation interfaces? Yeah. uh, So, so we believe that you should be able to control these systems any way you want. Um, We're not sure yet what control interface becomes dominant or if one even does. Um, So the idea is to figure out what the people in the home really feel most comfortable doing and then enable that. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of people who've seen Sonos for many years will say, oh, Sonos, you're a closed ecosystem. You don't want to play nice with others. And that's, that's really not true. What we want to do is make sure that the experience is really good. And so when, you know, when we would open up the ability to talk to other systems, it would be things like sharing contextual data so that we get a better view of who the listeners are. We probably won't be the ones that do the selection of the content, ultimately. Um, We work with music services, and one of the main things that they do is really learn about people's musical preferences and tastes, and they spend a lot of effort in that. Um, What we'd like to do is layer in other data that may not be available. For example, what rooms are being used, or what time of day are people listening, or potentially work with others who know who's in the home. So, you know, it's a combination of multiple different folks in the home providing these experiences. We don't think it's any one company will ultimately kind of own the contextual layer.
0: Last question. Uh, At my summit
6: two weeks ago, uh, the the device everyone was talking about was the Amazon Echo. What are your thoughts on the Amazon Echo? Uh, I have one in my kitchen. It's it's pretty fun. Um, You know, that interface works for a lot of different use cases. Um, For me, I mean, one, it is an assistant, like for sure. And then uh, sometimes for playback, it's kind of nice. So I think voice, it's showing me that voice is a viable way of interacting. That being said, I still feel awkward <laughs> even in front of my dog when I talk to it. And, um, you know, learning how to make that feel more normal or whether it ever becomes normal is an interesting question. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited to see, you know, what Amazon is doing there. I think uh, I think they're really pushing that forward, uh, specifically voice and the home context for voice. All right. Thanks, Michael.
5: Thanks, Mike.
1: Amazon Echo has come up a number of times. Uh, I have one in my kitchen, too. My daughter's name is Alexa. It's quite an interesting scenario in my house because I keep telling her to do her homework. Um, On to Stacey and and Pete. We're going to keep rolling along. Peter from Wemo. Hi, Peter.
4: Hi, Stacey. I'm not, I'm not going to be as hard on you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Peter's like, oh, man, I just met her last week. Um, okay, so we were both at Michael's event last week. You guys who missed it. It was super awesome, um, especially if you like to cook like I do. You said something great. You said that you guys had learned. So, Peter, you are from WEMO. I should tell you guys this. Um I had a WeMo. You were the first. WeMo was the first smart device I ever had in my house. I spent fifty bucks on a smart outlet. I used it to plug in my Christmas lights, and my husband was like, "This is a waste of money." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no! Watch this." And he's like, "Yeah, that's stupid." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no! Watch this again." He's like, "Please." And then he's like, "Watch this." And he goes behind the tree, and he goes to unplug it, and then he promptly, like, knocks over, like, four ornaments off the tree. And I'm like, look. <laughs> He's like, okay, fine. So,
7: nice. Nice. Thank you very much. It was, it was awesome. It was, no, it was, that's it was, not an uncommon story, for the
4: thing. I think. I figured as much, so so we were mo- Worth it. Um. Okay, so at this event, you guys, or you said that you had a hard time, or you realized that putting connectivity into something just to control it on off remotely was not enough though to get people like my husband apparently to pay 50 bucks for an outlet. And so my question is, what is enough?
7: Cracking question. Before I start answering, can I calibrate the audience? How many engineers or technical background people are in the room? Stick your hand up. How many marketeers or salespeople in the room? Stick your hand up. We've got quite an interesting balance. All right, so um, what is enough? Uh, It turns out if you don't use the word smart, because the word smart has got some incredible connotations. Most of us have got more than $400 in our pocket of technology that delivers a sensational smart experience. If you don't use the word smart, but you navigate around solving simple problems like not knocking the ornaments off the tree which can cause big family arguments in my house, um, it it starts to get people to a point where $39 ends up being something interesting. And so uh, what is enough, from our perspective, is just an expectation management uh, game. And the guys from Sonos did an amazing job of of, uh, getting excited about connected speakers. You take it home and you're always wowed. Uh, It's a sensational experience when you first turn on your Sonos We as a business try try to listen a lot to our consumers. Uh, I think you can see from our breadth that we, and we've got like a million and a half devices in the field, we listen a lot. And we learn that people actually have very simple problems they want to solve. And if you just tell them, hey, you can solve your problem really super well. And it might be, did you remember to turn the iron off? Or did you worry about that hair straightener? Um, we can solve that problem for you extremely well, like Sonos can solve your desire for incredible music extremely well. We can solve that worry problem extremely well, and and for us, if we manage that expectation, it's enough. So it's all about expectation versus delivery, and um, we think a very tiny set of features, just like checking did I remember, actually is enough for thirty nine bucks for a lot of people.
4: Okay, so I feel like. The last couple years, kind of a lot of the IoT products have been kind of, did I leave it on? Or can I turn it on and off from my phone? I feel like the next generation coming out, a lot of the products are actually a little bit more around machine intelligence or machine learning. So maybe truer smarts. So these are video cameras that recognize you, or I'm totally blanking on other smart things right now, but things that recommend products to you. And, and I'm just getting kind of curious, like, does Wemo have some thoughts about what, A, you might offer, or B, just kind of where you think the industry is kind of going with intelligence, and then maybe what's next?
7: Yeah, we've got a lot of thoughts, and we've actually launched some products in betas um, and in, in uh, ecosystem uh, scenarios where people have multiple products that interact. And it turns out that humans are really hard to predict. Uh, we have some really annoying tendencies. Like we have moods. We come back from home from work some days really angry or really happy or really excited or really sad. And and mood affects what playlist I want on my service, right? The second thing humans have that's kinda of tricky to program for is you have the idea of groups. So in my house, uh, when I walk in the house, I really like the lights to be kinda of calm after work and the music I have my favorite playlist. My wife does not like my playlist at all. She has her favorite playlist, and we have a compromised playlist. So if it's two of us versus one of us, then this, the house needs to react a little differently. The third thing that, that humans have that's kind of tricky on this automation front is anti-habits. So we have a ha- we have some habits, like we typically, I drive one car, wife drive the other car. Some days we switch around for real practical reasons, but those anti-habits, or the day when you want to go to work a little bit later, or the day when you want to have breakfast a lot later, those anti-habits tend to be tricky for programmatic prediction of automation. And so uh, we have a pretty strong viewpoint on automation that we need more data. We need a lot more data to know what mood are you in, who are you with, and are you on a habit day or on an anti-habit day? And right now, that's too manual to collect that information. Uh, we could argue that Facebook has got some information about your mood. We could argue that there's a few other companies that have got information about who you're with as you're traveling around your day. But there isn't enough information to predictably, accurately automate things in the house. Right? And so our challenge with automation is let's not overprice and underdeliver deliver and, and make your lights go off because you can sit still for too long in your lounge. Actually, I'm still here. Don't turn the lights off. I don't want to have to wave my arm to turn the lights back on. That's really annoying. That's not solving a problem. That's creating a pain. So we would love if the industry, and and we would love it as we proceed, to only promise things we can really robustly, accurately deliver on the expectation.
4: Well, see, and now we're back at this home automation thing, which, you know, I I would be curious, like, do you think home automation is still what we should still be selling to people as opposed to saying, hey, maybe people aren't buying that and haven't been buying that because maybe we don't have the coherent story, maybe it's too expensive, maybe we don't have standards that people are really into yet because we don't. Um, And maybe we should be thinking about products that actually do something else for them and enable something else. I don't know.
2: Yeah, so
7: like 10% of the homes in America have a connected device now or something like that. And when you talk to people who haven't got one, they don't know why they should care. They're like, well, what is this? Why should I care about it? And so if you sell the specific use case, you describe the specific use case that might apply to their household, then they go, oh, wow, that's interesting to me. I do worry about that, or I do want to do that. So uh, for us, automation it might be a little ways away. And today, in places like Target or Walmart, um, communicating to the guests that are walking around Target and saying, hey, I can solve this specific problem for you with this really specific thing that happens to be uh, IoT or connected home, uh, and you probably don't even need to mention that, is great. Because you get the first one in that 90% of homes that haven't got one yet. And if they have a great experience, they're going to buy a second one and a third one. and So we're all about trying to uh, promise that little thing and talk about the little thing and solve a little problem. And I think that's where the consumer is at today. I don't think they're at the platform uh, stage of purchase. Got it. All right, it's the Lay's potato chip theory.
4: Um, all right, quick survey. Who has Wemo devices? All right, got to ask you because so many people have it. You know what's coming. Software. It's hard out there. It's glitchy. What's happening there?
7: So we thought there was a concept of a home network, and it turns out there's like 80,000 home networks uh, because your router from your ISP has got maybe old firmware on it, was maybe manufactured by uh, a smaller uh, manufacturer. And our experience of networking has been very educational. We learned a um, lot because if you've got a Roku or if you've got a, some streaming device in your house, or if your ISP and your um, operating system on your phone and your firmware on your router have some nasty combination, then we have a sticky experience. Um, and we're very, very aware of that. We're also very aware that in a lot of homes we have a seamless experience. And so we're just going through that experience that I think everybody is in our space. And if you look at everyone, all the big brands in the industry, the average app rating is tough. It's tough because the experience um, is bumping into the 80,000 different types of network in America.
4: But you no, know, you told me that you guys were working on your software. Come on, tell these people, because man, you gave me so much hope.
7: So January. we have a second generation hat that's coming out that's going to solve all those challenges.
4: I was like, come on, these guys deserve it too. And when when might we expect it? January. January. All right. Next up.
7: Thank you. Oh, thank you, Peter.
1: Okay, let's keep it going. Reminder, hashtag Target Open House. Let's keep the social media love going. And as I turned it over back to Mike, when we were putting together this event, Kate and Louise said, we want to feature products that consumers want. And who doesn't want to make their own beer in their home? So I met Bill at Mike's Smart Kitchen Summit, and he was one of the most impressive entrepreneurs at that, so I said, you got to come down to Seattle and talk to the San Francisco crowd about what you're doing. Without further ado, Bill and Mike. You know, Thanks. Greg, um,
0: Bill has told me that the beer brewing is the domain of the bearded man. So you've now entered that domain. So have seen. That means I better change careers. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, you're changing that. I think it, it's traditionally been the domain of the bearded man. You know, I think um, smart is often talked about in, uh, about how it is something that helps us make our lives more convenient. Um, I think oftentimes it's something that we talk about a lot, making our, us more secure. But one thing I think that's under-discussed is how smart technology can help us be better makers or create things. And I think you guys are essentially doing that. That's your central mission in life is to help people make something that up to this point they have largely been out of reach, either because of cost. Um, a mess, or or time budget. Like, I actually don't have enough time in my day to make beer. That may change now.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's interesting to listen to the, the other panelists talk about IoT, solving problems, solving the pain points. You know, you don't usually think about beer and pain in the same sentence, unless you have too much beer. Um, but, you know, there is there's this third region that I think uh, IoT is going to be, really big in, and I-O-B, Internet of Beer, already (laughs) is starting to be, um, which is is making you an expert. Um, So it's not clear probably to most of you whether or not you actually want to make your own beer, but if you tasted the results of yourself on steroids, yourself as a great beer maker, as a beer master, you know, you probably would. And, and that's one of the things that I think is uh, so far underdeveloped as an IoT area. It's it's the, uh, you can call it, there's virtual reality and augmented reality. You can call it augmented expertise and virtual expertise. It's becoming something that you um, only dreamed of being, maybe. So anyone can make beer. You can buy a Mr. Beer Kit and, you know, make something that is um, roughly in the category of beer, um, and it is alcoholic, and most of us do it, you know, and, uh, as an experiment. Uh, but if you want to do something like the beer master at Russian River can do, and have lines out the door, and you know, actually really really enjoy the end product, it's going to take you many many years of developing expertise. It's it's not something that most people can do. And so what we're doing with Pico Brew, uh, what we've done is is this sort of Augmented expertise and virtual expertise its bringing the power of the connected device um, and all those experts out there into the smarts that can be in your kitchen in the form of one of these devices. In our case, uh, the product that we have on Kickstarter right now, the Pico, is a a product that can make anyone uh, a great beer maker. It's like having a great, uh, you know, one of the beer masters at a really great brewery standing over your shoulder... Sort of saying, okay, process-wise, process-control-wise, you, you want to mash at this temperature, and you want to hold it for this time. You want to do it very precisely, and you want to use exactly these ingredients. And, uh, and you still having the opportunity to say, but, but wait, you know, I actually want a little less alcohol in this. I, I want to have a couple of these, so I'm going it a session IPA instead of your IPA. So having a degree of control, bringing your intelligence and your choices together with um, the power of all, of all these great experts. And that's that's really what we think, um, you know, a lot of interesting new IoT devices can actually benefit from as well. This would be a fun one to do a poll on. Okay, who in the room has brewed their own
0: beer? The bearded guy? <laughs> 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 all right, who in the room would consider brewing beer if they could spend 500 to to $1,000 and make it a little more easy? Anyone?
2: So there you, you should,
0: go. It's a potential customer. You should, should
2: give it a try. I mean, it's it's interesting. I uh, so I'm up in Seattle. Um, I have kids, and he was going to a, a sort of a soccer parents thing, but uh, one of the parents brought along beer, and you know people were raving about it, and he had this keg and he was pouring fresh craft beer, and um, and he was kind of bragging about it. And I tasted it. and I'm like, hmm, that tastes kind of familiar, and. So he didn't tell people until the very end, yeah, I, I have this beer-making device, and it's, it's really cool. I got it. got it about a year ago, and it's this thing. You <laughs> I didn't mean, even I know his customer? He had no idea. He was, He's like, darn, i
0: gotta got a discount. <laughs> um, you know, you guys, you made this, uh, we were talking about modernist cuisine at the summit last uh, two weeks ago, and um, in the way they're trying to hack food to make and apply science to food uh, to make us better cooks, you, you said something on stage that you're trying to do that with beer. You call it a modernist beer. And, and I think you're trying to take shortcuts because, I mean, quite honestly, beer brewing is something – I've written an article, you know, how, you, how this is the closest thing to the curry for beer. But quite honestly, that's misleading because you can't curry guy's beer because you have to ferment. So I want you to talk about maybe some of the kind of things you're doing to really kind of hack the process, make it faster. But what's the ultimate kind of compressed time we can actually make beer? I want to know that. Um, do you
2: have an idea? Well, I think, I think the sky's the limit as far as uh, the, the technology you can bring to bear in the problem. And it's it's one of these great problems where you get to approach it from physics, from software, from, uh, you know, obviously food chemistry and beer chemistry. Um, we are working on this. We're working on de- deconstructing beer, just like some of the great chefs have been experimenting with sort of how do you deconstruct cooking and make uh, some of the things that have been just accepted over you know, centuries as a sort of a standard way of cooking uh, food. Sort of saying, gosh, there's a there's a reaction that happens when I heat this, and here's the undesirable side effects, and here's the desirable components. And how do we deconstruct that? How do we produce only the desirable stuff, and of course, speed it up? But it is everything we do is about quality as well as convenience and time improvements. Um, there's the you know portions that can be sped up easily with beer brewing, like the mash. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to uh, speed up some of the imparting the great uh, flavors, aromas, bitterness that you get from hops. Uh, but we've done some amazing things there as well. Um, and then the hardest thing, of course, is fermentation. Yeast yeast is a tricky beast. Um, but, but the reason we love beer is there's so many degrees of freedom. I used to be a huge wine guy. had a big wine cellar um, and had this... This unfortunate or faithful or whatever trip to Belgium, and I started tasting beers that were sour. Um, I was familiar with bitter beers, but you know, sour, salty, uh, sweet. Of course, I mean it's like you could have a spectrum of flavors. And you know, wines unless your wines are spoiled, usually you don't really want them on the sour or the salty side. Um, I had a few of those, but um, so. With beer, you can you have so much, so many degrees of freedom. You've got so much runway. I mean, the the audience now, the worldwide audience for great craft beer is so big. In the U.S. alone, you know, have got a hundred billion dollar beer market, and it's just going crazy. And that's because people love to experiment with food. Let's go way less
0: than one percent brew beer at home.
2: How high can that number get? I,
0: and I also want—I mean, just real quickly technology excites me, but what excites me more or intrigues me more is uh, business model innovation. And you guys actually are doing something I think is interesting that I haven't seen in, in food in that you guys have this uh, idea. You're trying to app market, essentially app marketize beer brewing. Um, for those people who don't know, people who have a recipe and they want to distribute this recipe on that your recipe marketplace, you're going to pay royalties out to people, which I think is a fascinating model. I don't know how widely it will be used, because I don't know if beer brewers think that way, so I think it's going to be a grand experiment, but talk a little bit about that.
2: Now, uh, we, we do have this um, this grand vision of, of helping craft brewers really spread their love worldwide. So uh, one of the things that happens now, if you go on a trip, you know, maybe you're in South America, and you go to a great brewery in, in Brazil or Peru, you go to Peru, you, you visit Barbaria, they have some great beers, fantastic beers. And then you get back home and you're like, wow, you know, I had this great beer, I brought a bottle back, it's gone. Um, And that that experience, you're probably never going to have that again. They don't distribute, they never will in the U.S. Um, Well, I won't say never, but they're going to have a difficult time distributing in the U.S. Um, It's hard to distribute beer. You know, beer stales, the ingredients stale. And so you have this problem that there's a lot of great beer to be discovered. Um, And unless you travel around and have infinite time and infinite money you're not going to experience them. Uh, so what we what we dreamed of and what we've implemented now is a worldwide network where uh, brewers from around the world can produce their own recipe kits with their prepackaged ingredients and then um, sell them on our brew marketplace, uh, make money from that, get brand exposure from that um, and allow customers to experience their fresh product um, and brew it wherever they are. So it's a uh, you know, we think it's a fantastic win-win. Um, about the only loser, probably the beer distributors in the world, and and maybe big beer, uh, because who, if given a choice, who wouldn't want the freshest beer from the breweries you want to really experience? Uh, that's that's our business
0: model. All right. Next time we'll have to have your beer here. Um, let's bring on the last interview. Thanks, Bill. Okay,
1: thank you. Much it. One step closer to more beer. Okay. We'll see. Bringing up James. Roost was released two weeks ago? Three weeks ago. And has already been rated one of the top smart home products in many, many tech publications. Um, We're going to hear why. Thank you. Hi, James. Stacy, good to see
4: you It's good to see you. Okay, so, Roost, I have one. It's in my thermostat right now. I love it. It's great. Thermostat? Uh, not my thermostat, sorry. <laughs> a Different company. Different company. Um, also makes them, no, in my um, smoke detector. Excellent. Right here? I was going to say, no wonder it doesn't work. Uh, no, it does work. It works really well, now that I put it in my, my smoke detector, not my thermostat. <laughs> uh, so, I, what I love about it is that it's a retrofit, and I would love to talk about like a lot of these devices are brand new, so why did you guys go along the retrofit market and kind of?
5: Well,
4: actually, just why?
5: Let's talk about that. Yeah, I, well, I, it, I think it was quite an easy choice for us because w- when we set out, we looked at the smart home market and we thought, uh, you know, we looked around. And it's an emerging market; and it's going to be big. Right? Everyone believes it's going to be big, but if it's to get really big, people actually have to adopt it. The way that it, the way that it was being set out to be adopted was. You know, let's take what you've got, throw it away, and spend three hundred dollars on a brand new one just because it's connected. And to us, that didn't seem like a very intelligent way to approach it. We thought we could do it slightly better, so we started to look around the house and say, "What have you got in your house today that you'd like to make smarter?" Um, and, and there's a bunch of different things, but the, the smoke alarm. The nice thing about it is, a it's basically mandated, so everyone has one or three actually. Um, but everyone has the same problem with it, and it's. It's very dumb. It only works if you're at home. If you're not there, who knows if it makes a sound. No one will ever tell it. Um, so we tried to find a way, how can we take that existing product and make it smarter just by doing something we already do, which is change the battery. So we said, okay, let's create a Wi-Fi-enabled 9 volt battery that goes into this thing, connects to your home access point, which is your main hub in your house anyway, and sends you messages when the alarm goes off. And let's, while we're doing it, fix that other really bad annoyance that people have with alarms is they wake you up in the middle of the night at 3am. And I'm sure everyone's had this experience. They've been lying in bed, they hear this little beep, wakes you up, and you're looking around, and you can't figure out which one it is. Right? And, you know, it's, it's kind of by design. It happens all the time at 3 in the morning, and there's a reason for that. And that's because the battery, it has chemistry in it, and over time the battery decreases, but the chemistry um, also affects the voltage It's based on temperature. So when your house is the coldest, your battery out- output is going to the lowest, and you're going to trip that threshold easily. So, so we fix that problem, too. Wait, so
4: it only ha- it most often happens at night because your house is coldest
5: at night? Nearly always. So if it happens to you, turn the heater on, and you can delay it until the morning. But the trouble is, by the time it gets to the morning, the house is warmed up, and you can't find it.
4: Awesome. That's excellent. That's a pro tip. Pro so you tip right there. Okay, excellent. I should put it in my thermostat. Um, okay, so... You guys, Royal, well, the CEO, is a Wi-Fi expert. So the question for you guys is, did the Wi-Fi, low-power Wi-Fi component come first, or was it the, like, which came first, the Wi-Fi component or the battery component for the smoke detector? Like, why the smoke detector? Well, I, you know, when we started, we kind of had,
5: we kind of had two tenants, right? One was, we, we, we don't want to um, make you replace a product you already have, which one will make us smarter. Uh, and the other was, we don't want to have a hub. You would have a hub in your home, it's your Wi-Fi access point. And everything should connect through that. Since our background is, is low-power Wi-Fi, we think you know, we're the best guys on the planet to be able to help this problem. So it, it really kind of came from our kind of heritage and things we've done in the past. So
4: can you do this in things that are not 9-volt batteries? Because I have a lot of battery-powered products that if I could just slot in a connected battery, that would be amazing.
5: Okay. There's, there's no reason we can't. I think so the space is for construction. So the challenge we had with the 9 volt battery, it's the biggest of the form factors, and there's, if you're take one apart, I'm sure people have, but there's just not a lot of room inside them to squeeze a Wi-Fi radio in there. So uh, it took some doing. All right, so
4: that's not a yes or no. It's either a yes or no. Okay, just, just clarifying that for us. Okay. Um, how are sales going? Because this is, I mean, three weeks. It's $35 for one... And what is it if I buy two
5: pack? It's 65 by two.
4: 65 by two. My house has, I think it was six thermostats in it. Smoke Um I
5: live in a palatial mansion full of smoke detectors. We live in Austin, right? They have big houses. Everything's bigger in Texas. When I lived in Texas, my house is big
4: too. I'm like, I have a friend who has literally 11. They, they changed the code. Um, OK, I and mean, the house is not crazy big, but it would be a
5: bonanza for you.
4: How are sales? So, so, you
5: know, three weeks in, I have to say, it, it's been going really well. You know, I've, I've been absolutely stunned by, um, you know, the, not only the pre-sales, but the sales since we, we, we launched. So, it, it's going really well, and it's not in here, unfortunately, today, but perhaps we'll fix that soon. So, that's, that's my question. How much education do you have to
4: do for something like this, and where are you finding... Are you in any brick-and-mortar stores?
5: Yeah, yeah so, so we're, we're in Hungry Bay, about Hungry Bay today, and we'll be in some others very soon. Um, but, uh, actually, the... Um, the approach to, for, uh, for consumers, it's, it's very straightforward. You know, last year, Gigon Conference, which is there as well, um, you know, we, we announced the product and we had a very simple booth, a little tabletop in this little kind of garage area. And um, we, we had a little pop-up and all the pop-up said was, uh, you know, had a picture of the battery and it said, no more chirps, uh, notifications on your cell phone and five-year battery life. And, and the real funny thing was that people would walk along, they'd kind of look at it, and, the, you know, the 9-volt battery form factor is very familiar. People recognize the reason. And, and they look at it they kind of read the three bullet points, and, uh, and then they come over and they tell me what the product does. They say, oh, so, you know, it gives me some notifications on my cell phone if the alarm goes off, and it tells me the battery's getting low, and you're like, yeah, that's exactly it. So uh, I think, you know, we, we, not perhaps by accident, but unintentionally, we really hit on a, a sweet spot um, with consumers, and they really get the, you know, what is the pain point they're trying to solve, so I think that, that's been very good. But the, the good thing is you get to hear everyone's 3 a.m. battery chirp stories. so I've uh, heard a lot of them in the last year or so. <laughs> Do you tell all of them to turn the heat up? Uh, well, that that is, is some advice, yes. We, we, we suggest it. Okay. Um, there are
4: lots of other connected battery products, connected smoke... I can't say the word smoke detector. Connected smoke detector products on the market. And what I find really interesting is... A lot of products are out there trying to connect to my smoke detector. Like my Hue light bulbs, they're like, we're going to turn red when there is a fire and it goes off. And you can escape when it's red because red light is better visibility in smoke. I've never been in a fire, thank God. So do you feel like there's a huge disadvantage for you guys in not being able to connect to all these other devices? Or do you think like, eh? Well, there's
5: definitely a benefit you know, being able to connect, and, 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 you know, today our product is very much focused on notifying you on the cell phone, but, but the benefit of the, you know, the internet of things, once you get that data out of the product, and out of the home, and into the cloud, you can do anything you like with it, right, so it's going to be very easy to, to integrate that with all of these other types of products, and you can see it today walk around the tables, you can see, you know, this product works with all these different things, and, and you know, it's just a matter of time, I think, before, you know, we can say the same kind of thing.
4: Is it really important? Like, what is the data that my smoke alarm, other than telling my insurance company that, you know, if her house catches on fire, you know, she's going to be alerted? I think that's actually the most useful thing right now that a smoke detector can tell someone that and my house is on fire. That's also useful.
5: Well, it, possibly. I, I guess the question is: Do you want to tell other people about it, or, or are you just more interested in your own kind of, you know, selfish kind of?
4: Life? Well, just in terms of devices, I'm, I'm just trying to think about like that kind of
5: data. Well, I, I, you know, there's this concept that um, you know you get a notification on your phone, your smoke alarm's going off. You're here right now, you're enjoying yourself, and you get a notification, smoke alarms going off. Um, that's important information for you. Right? And one of the things that our app can do is. is you can assign monitors, so you can add people, so it's not just your information. Um, you can actually uh, invite your neighbours, and so when that notification comes up, you can see, you know, who's physically close to the to the to the to your home, and you might make different choices based on that data. And so it might be that you say, okay, well, you know, no one's home, I'm, I'm recording the fire brigade, um, you know, or perhaps my wife's home, and, and I can ring her up and find out, you know, what's going on. So I think that's the benefit of the data. You might not necessarily want to share it with anyone. You, might, you probably don't want to post it on Facebook.
4: I can check my Wemo and turn off my curling iron or the ratio.
5: Yeah, you you
4: there, there are resources. those. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much.
0: All right, folks, that's it. Once again, I want to thank Target, thank the IoT Consortium, thank you to Greg Kahn, Stacey Higginbotham, and everyone who came out to Smart Home Show Live. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week.